well, I'm going. I've never been, so I must have hated my life too, Lindsay, both of us. Lindsay's my wife. She doesn't hate her life, and, and I don't either. We love it. Uh, yes, you should totally come to conference. It's going to be insane. I've never been before. Dylan has. I'm so pumped about it. I'm probably, I think I'm the only SALT director who's never been to conference, but I'm going, it's COVID last year. It ruined everything. But yes, you want to be there. It's going to be awesome. February, Christmas, ask your parents, you know, 65 bucks. It's nothing. They would love to send you to this. Uh, If we haven't met before, it's your first time here. My name is Timmy and I'm the director here at SALT Company. Welcome. Glad you're here. I have a question real quick for all of you though. Who here has ever made cinnamon toast? Anybody here? Just, okay, yeah. Maybe a third of you have. Uh, I love me some cinnamon toast. It was definitely definitely one of the breakfasts that I enjoyed the most growing up. Uh, Any time it was a Saturday, we were like sleeping in, my, and my parents, you know, didn't mind giving us too much sugar. It was cinnamon toast, okay? And uh, I would watch how they made cinnamon toast as a, as a kid. It's, it's not very difficult. It just has four ingredients. You need Bread, butter, sugar, and cinnamon. And at, at the age, of, I think I was seven, I came up with this brilliant plan to, to go and make breakfast for my family. And I was gonna serve them some cinnamon toast, okay? So how hard could this be? I've seen them do this tons of times. I get out the chair, you know, I climb up to where the spices are. I'm like, you know, fooling around, make the toast, get the, the butter and the sugar. And the problem is I only got three out of the four ingredients right. And the one that I missed was cinnamon. And what I used instead of cinnamon was uh, cayenne pepper, okay? And I'm just dumping on what I think is heaves of cinnamon, which turns out to be cayenne pepper. And like any good chef, you have to taste it before you serve it to your people. And I take a bite and I'm like, something's not right here. And all of a sudden, I'm like screaming and crying. I say, my parents come out like, what is going on? They don't know what I'm doing, the mess I just made. And like, I think this is probably the first experience as I look back at my life, just going way back, probably five, six years, seven years, I don't know how old it was, where I tried to do something really good for somebody else that was, that was innocent in and of itself, but just led to horrible consequences. And if you've been with us at all, uh, I guess since we started this last week, this, this Life of Joseph, our, our series, Never Alone, uh, we're seeing a lot of that. And we're gonna see a lot more of that in Joseph's life where it seems that every time Joseph wants to be obedient and faithful to his God, things just seem to get worse and worse and worse. Um, and so that's kind of what we're gonna be looking at tonight. Uh, I'm excited about it. Joseph, the life of Joseph is probably my favorite story in the whole Old Testament. It's incredibly powerful. Really try to come next week as we wrap up the end of it. Um, we're gonna try to cover three chapters tonight going to be a lot, so get ready. Um, I'm excited. Uh, but before we get to that, I just want to review a little bit of what Dylan, you know, shared with us last week at the beginning of Joseph's story, if you weren't here. So you have this man named Abraham, okay? And God makes this promise to Abraham that through him, he's going to send the Savior of the world, okay? The Messiah, which we know is, is Jesus. Abraham didn't know that at that time, but it was going to be through their offspring. And so Abraham's grandson is Jacob, and his name was turned to Israel, which the whole, you know, Old Testament follows this nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. Okay, well, we saw last week, Jacob's family is a mess, right? He has, he has 12 sons, and one of them is named Joseph, right? He has multiple wives, and he favors 
his Joseph's mom, Rachel, and so therefore he favors Joseph, and which is already horrible, right? That just sounds terrible, right? Don't please don't have a marriage like that one day. Just learn from their mistakes. But uh, Joseph, not only is he his favorite, but you know Jacob shows all the other sons. He he gets him this really expensive coat of many colors and gives it to him to where all the other eleven brothers are like, well, screw that guy. Like we don't want to be by him, and so they they go away from him. They won't be behind him. And then Joseph has these dreams, okay? These two dreams that show his parents and his brothers bowing down to him. And he doesn't keep it to himself, but he goes and tells them. And his brothers love those dreams. No, they hate them and they're even more angry. And, and, and now they begin to talk about how horrible he is and they want to kill him. And so one day, Jacob sends Joseph to go bring them some, some food because they're shepherds. And he sends them out into the field to go find them. And they see him coming and they start to have this plot. Hey, let's just kill him or we could throw him in this pit. And then one of the brothers says, well, maybe let's just make some money on him instead. And so they sell their brother to this random like caravan of these Ishmaelite travelers for just a few shekels of silver. And then to cover up what they did, this horrible sin that they did, they take his coat and they get a lamb, they kill it. And they put blood on the coat and then they bring it to his father. And obviously the father's like, okay, like he didn't think his 11 sons are gonna kill his other brother and do something like this. So he thinks that Joseph's dead. And that's where we left off last week. Not a great picture, but where we see the sinfulness of mankind and, and, and how sin can grip even an entire community. That's what Dylan talked about, but still how God was working through the midst of it to fulfill his own plans. And so, we're gonna see more of that tonight. Um, so many gospel ties in this story that point to Jesus. I'm pumped. Uh, we'll be in chapter 39 of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible. You can go ahead and turn there. And here's where we're gonna start. Um, Joseph is carried down by these Ishmaelites, sold in Egypt to a man named Potiphar who worked for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And at this point, guys, Egypt's like the most powerful nation ever to exist at this time in our history. And so Joseph gets down there and he's sold. And we're gonna begin reading in verse one of chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had. I feel like I'm saying all that he had so many times. So that he, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So, so here's what's happening. Joseph's, you know, sold by his brothers, probably thinking he's never gonna see his family again, carried hundreds of miles away to Egypt. And now he's a slave in this man named Potiphar's house. But it says, the first thing I want us to notice is that, is that the Lord was with him. That God didn't leave him in all of this. And in verse three, it says, his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. And 
when it says that Potiphar noticed, we know that he didn't notice because there was anything special about Joseph in and of himself. We know that he noticed because God was with him. And we have to keep in mind at this time, like Potiphar didn't know who the true God of the world was. He didn't know who Joseph's God was. Yahweh, the, the, the Hebrew God, our God. It, the Egyptians, they, they worship many false gods. And so he sees something different about Joseph by the way that Joseph lived. And he entrusted ownership to him, authority to him and said, hey, dude, rule everything. Everything seems to be succeeding. And we realize and we know it's because God was working through Joseph. But let me just ask you, Christians specifically in the room, like when people look at your life, do they see something different than the world? When people look at the way that you live, do they notice and they ask, hey, what's, what's different about you? You seem to have something that I, that I don't have. Um, I just want to ask a few questions that maybe you can reflect and think for a second. Like, like when, you, when your friends begin to talk poorly in their circle and gossip about other people who aren't there, like, do you join into those conversations or, you, or maybe do you step away or, or try to shut them down? Or when you're, when you're in class and it seems like every single other student in the class is, is cheating on the test and it seems like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, do you go along with it or do you try to be different? Or when all your friends are sleeping around with their boyfriends or girlfriends and they, and they think it's not that big of a deal to wait till marriage or to, to keep sex in the way that God intended it because God doesn't know what he's doing. Are you different? Are you obedient to God there? Or do you just, do you, do you want to live you know, the same way that the world does? Or, or what do you talk about? Is it things that you choose to do or, or choose not to do? Are they different? I know one of the most convicting moments for me in my, in my, in my walk with Jesus um, was when I was a, a senior at LSU and I'm sitting down with my, my college pastor. It'd be like if one of you was sitting down with me and I had just hired you to work at Salt Company, okay? And he's He's onboarding me like through the, you know, the, the process or whatever. And, and, and we're at Chipotle and this student who's a freshman comes up and he recognizes Critter and, the, and this student's name is Jesse. And he's, he's not a Christian, right? He, he didn't believe in Jesus. And uh, he goes up and starts asking our college pastor questions and, and about, about God and kind of like, you really believe this stuff, you know? And, and, and they're talking or whatever. And then he sees me and he says, do you, are you a Christian? And I, was, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he goes, I did not think you were a Christian. And it was just like, <sighs> because I had met that kid a few weeks before playing soccer. And we were just playing pickup in, in our UREC one day. And, and he saw the way that, that I talked whenever I was playing out there. And he saw that I was being a jerk to everybody else out there and just had a lot of ego. And I didn't look any different than anybody else who was out there and was kind of a turd. And he was like, you? And guys, the way that we live matters because as Christians, because we weren't called to continue to live for ourselves once we were saved. And we're, obviously this isn't legalism. We're not calling you to, to be perfect. None of us are. We all fall short. But even when we do fall short, do we own it? Because the gospel allows us to talk about our weaknesses because where we fall short and where we miss the mark, Jesus's perfect life covers the gaps and his grace covers that. And so we can boast in our weaknesses. And so obviously here, guys, Potiphar noticed something was different about Joseph. And what we see is that he begins to give him more authority because of it. But let's see what happens next, right? Because things 
don't always continue to go the way that we think we do, that they should when we're obedient to God. It says, now Joseph, verse six, was handsome in form and appearance, okay? Uh, obviously, we, we see that your boy was a chiseled, a chiseled dude, okay? It says he was handsome in form and appearance, all right? Uh, form and appearance to me, it's saying your boy was swole and Potiphar's wife notices, look at verse seven, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on, G- on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put me, put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this wickedness and sin against God? And she, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. All right, there's a, a ton that we can learn here, right, from Joseph. I'm just gonna point out a, a few things really quick, but here's what's happening. Potiphar's wife catches the eyes for, for Joseph because he's a chiseled, swole, good-looking man, right? It says it right here. And she starts trying to seduce him and sleep with him, like day after day, and he says no, and three reasons that he gives I think are super important to see. One is that Joseph recognized that sin, right, sin of any kind, it destroys, it destroys trust. And if he's gonna commit sexual sin and adultery with, with Potiphar's wife, that's gonna unravel all the good relationship that he has with Potiphar. That's gonna be bad for Potiphar's marriage. It's gonna be bad for, for Potiphar and him. And it's gonna be it's gonna be horrible. So that was one. Number two, Joseph trusted God and his design for sex within marriage. Rather than gratify the desires of his flesh, which which I'm sure he was probably tempted day after day. And at this point, it probably would be really easy to think that, hey, like all this crap's happened to me. Like I I, I could I could deserve this, it's not that big of a deal. No, he didn't want to, and he trusted God and God's design for marriage, and he says hey, your husband Potiphar, he's given me everything. He's given me you know, uh, ownership to everything here in this house, except you, verse nine says, because you are his wife. See, Joseph, Joseph trusted that God knew what he was doing when he created marriage and said so that it, it should be between one man and one woman. And then most importantly, the last one is that Joker, Joseph recognized that when we sin, our sin is first and foremost against God just like David said, against you and you alone have I sinned when he committed adultery, that that was his prayer of repentance to God. And he says, how can I do this great wickedness against God? Because he loved God and he wanted to be faithful to God and obedient to him. But here's the deal, okay? I'm gonna summarize what happens next. Uh, Potiphar's wife is, is persistent and she keeps going day after day, okay? And one day, Joseph's in the house, He's alone, and she gets in there alone. Okay, I don't know where the other servants were, but but wasn't a great situation. And she comes at him, telling him to lie with her. And he does like some pro bowl, like levels, you know, swim move to get around her. And says, Heisman, see you later. And and uh, unfortunately for Joseph, she grabbed his garment, his cloak, his, his toga, right? And he runs outside and he flees, which was really smart to do. And she just yells rape. And you can see where this is going. Now she's got his toga. He runs outside and, and she yells rape. Well, obviously the story doesn't, it, it, the scene does not look good for Joseph. 
and Potiphar comes home and, and we see all Joseph was trying to do is be faithful to God and obedient and where God had him. And where did it lead? Look at verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled as any you know, husbands would be. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. And once again, it just seems like Joseph, he just can't catch a break. Like every time in this story that Joseph thinks that he's under the blessing of God and he's being obedient to God and doing the right thing and faithful to him, things just seem to get worse. Can I ask, have you, maybe, maybe you have felt like this before. Maybe you felt like, man, the more that I try to obey God's word, then sometimes it, it, it makes friends in my life wanna, wanna go away because they realize that I don't wanna do the same things that I used to before I knew Jesus because I wanna be obedient to Jesus now and, and they don't like that. Or, or I, I know for me, like, this is a little different, but um, man, one of the most difficult seasons in my life was my, my senior year of high school, definitely was at this point. And I went to a, a smaller, um, like Christian private school in, in Louisiana. And I think I was one of three in my graduating class, or this really wealthy area, that, that we had to buy our own cars. Okay, everybody else, their, their parents were buying them like really nice new cars. And in my family, we had to buy our own and there's only two others in the class. And at this time I was a Christian and, and following Jesus. And uh, I remember just saving up as much money as I could trying to buy a car and, and getting ready for college and things like that. And then my sister uh, decides that she's gonna go overseas for a year and do short-term missions. She said that I could use her car for a year. And I'm like, man, what a blessing. Like, thanks God, like this is, this is incredible. Um, I don't deserve this, but you, you've, you've, you know, allowed me to have this for a year. And so I have it. And like a few weeks later after having it, I'm staying up late with my friend kayaking on the river one night and drive home at like 2 a.m. And I fall asleep at the wheel going 60 miles an hour and go into a ditch and wreck a concrete culvert. It's the only time I've ever wrecked somebody in my life. Um, I guess one other time the day I moved here to Cincinnati, but, but anyways, yes, this happened. Now I don't have this, this, this car anymore. And, uh, and I'm like, man, this sucks. Like, why God? Like, I feel like I'm trying to do the right thing in life. Like, don't I deserve more? But, but guys, that's, that's, that's bad theology there. Like, like we, don't, we don't deserve anything from, from God. He doesn't owe us anything. And I didn't deserve to have, you know, a nice car or whatever. God was trying to teach me different things in that season. And so if we, if we have a mindset and thought like, man, if I follow Jesus, and I obey him, then I deserve X, Y, and Z. That's, that's prosperity gospel, and that's wrong. And Joseph knew that he didn't deserve anything from God. He just wanted to be faithful with where he was. And so um, we keep continuing in, in, in verse 20. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And even here when it says favor, it's like God's favor on our life may not always look like what we, what we would want it to. I'm sure this didn't, this wasn't where Joseph wanted to be. He didn't want to be in prison. He didn't want to be sold by his brothers. He didn't want to be away from his family, but he was. Verse 22, it says, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him 
And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So we see it begin to happen again, like in, in Potiphar's house, like God's with Joseph and begins to give him favor. And, and Joseph just keeps going on and, and, and walking in obedience to God. People notice this and they give him more authority. And now in prison, he's in charge of all the prisoners. And it's implied that like wherever Joseph was, he worked hard for the glory of God. Like no matter what his life situation was, no matter how sucky it was, he wanted to honor God with his life. This just reminds me of something that Paul, Paul commands for, in, in, in Colossians 3 for, for Christians, for those who have trusted in Jesus, for those who have received salvation because of Christ's work, that we are to live differently. He says, whatever you do, whether it's eating or drinking, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord and not man. And so a few questions that I've thought about just through going through this passage, maybe you should too, is just, it's just where has God placed you right here and now? And are you using what he has given you, the gifts he's given you, the time, you know, your years as a student at UC or Xavier, are you using those for his glory or your own? How's your attitude right now? Is it one of, of, of you know, thankfulness because of what God has done and that he's still on the throne or is it one that's, that's, that's quick to complain and be anxious? Are you thinking of your own kingdom or building God's? In other words, are you trying to make a name for yourself here on earth or are you trying to make Jesus's name the loudest? Because you can't do both of those at the same time. It's one or the other. And what we see is that no matter where God had Joseph, Joseph continued to be faithful and gave God glory. All right, we're gonna skip chapter 40. I'm just gonna summarize what happens because we're running out of time. While Joseph's in prison, okay, two guys get sent to prison who worked for Pharaoh. One is a baker and one is a cupbearer, okay? They both work for King Pharaoh and they, it says that they both offended Pharaoh and they're sent to prison. And then one night, both those guys wake up with dreams, okay? The story has lots to do with dreams and they both, they both wake up with dreams and they're freaking out in the sweats because they don't know what happened. And so Joseph sees that they're upset. Hey, what's wrong? He says that we've had these dreams and no one can interpret them. And then Joseph then goes, don't interpretations belong to God? And then he says, tell me your dreams and, he, and, he, and I'll give you the interpretation. Um, so they tell them his dreams and basically, for the baker, there's bad news. And for the cupbearer, there's good news. For the baker, it was, hey, in three days, it's gonna be Pharaoh's birthday. And uh, actually, you're gonna be hung. Like, you didn't, like that's gonna be your punishment. You're, you're gonna die. And for that, that's, that's what your dream means. For the cupbearer, he says, hey, in three days, actually, Pharaoh's gonna restore you to your position. And here's the good news. He says, you're gonna be cupbearer for Pharaoh again. And I just asked you this one thing. Will you remember me when I get out of here? When you get out of here? And so sure enough, three days later, exactly what Joseph said happens. The other one's punished for his crimes and he's hung. And then the cupbearer is raised and restored to his position for the king. But guess what happens? He doesn't remember Joseph. And time and time goes by to where it's two years and Joseph's still in prison. And it's like any time, like even in that situation there, he gave God glory telling them that, hey, interpretations belong to God. Like, I don't have this ability. Like God is given because of myself, but God's given it to me. And he gives glory to God there. Well, if we go to chapter 41, we see two years later, 
Joseph's still being obedient, but he's in this, what looks like a hopeless situation. 41 verse one, it says, after two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed, okay? This is king of Egypt. He says that he was standing by the Nile and behold, there came up out of the Nile, seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows and Pharaoh awoke. All right, following this, this is Pharaoh had a dream, okay? And in fact, he has two dreams, but I didn't read the other one. The first one, he, he, uh, he's, he's chilling, you know, by the Nile and there's these seven like healthy, good looking fat cows, right? Uh, just a normal dream. Then all of a sudden, these seven ugly, skinny, anorexic looking, unhealthy cows come out of the river and they eat the big fat cows, right? That's literally what it said. And then they don't get any bigger, okay? And then he has another dream and it's basically the same exact thing except with instead of seven cows, it's seven stalks of corn. Like there's seven healthy ones and then seven unhealthy ones. And so um, he wakes up and he's free. I mean, I'd be terrified if I had that dream. And so verse eight says that, in the morning, his spirit, and we're talking about Pharaoh, it, it was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Okay, so he calls together all the wise people in the land. Can someone give me an interpretation of what's going on? And none of them, none of them, none of them can. None of them have that ability. And the cupbearer hears, and he's like, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy in prison. That's actually a big reason why I got out of here. And, and he actually told me, you know, to, to remember him and not forget him. And I, I forgot about it the last two years, but, but maybe he's still alive in prison and maybe he can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh goes, calls for him. Look at verse, verse 14. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Once again, okay, Joseph has this easy opportunity right here to make much of himself and puff out his chest and say, yeah, I can do that. But instead he gives glory to God because he's far more concerned about pleasing the father than rather than making himself look good. And he gives credit where credit's due. A lot we can learn from that. Um, and so here we go. Pharaoh tells Joseph his dreams and Joseph gives the interpretation. Verse 25, it says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears, ears of corn, are seven years. The dreams are one. Okay, meaning that what he's about to say, they mean the same thing. It says, verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after there will arise seven years of famine and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land. The famine will consume the land and the plenty will be unknown in the land and by reason of the famine that will follow for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dreams means that the thing is fixed by God and God will bring it about shortly. Okay, so now Pharaoh knows what he, he just dreamed and what it's about, right? He says, you know, Joseph tells him, hey, for the next seven years, the harvest is gonna be great. We're gonna be raking it in. But after that, there's gonna be a severe famine that lasts seven years. 
and it's going to be horrible. It's gonna be extremely severe. We're not gonna have hardly any food that we, we, we are able to gather then. And so he, he's bold and he goes, here's what you should do, okay? He says, elect someone to begin gathering extra 20% for the next seven years, store it up in these houses, in these warehouses. And then when the seven years of famine come, uh, then we'll have enough to be able to get through and survive and give it to the people. So Pharaoh's like, that sounds great. How about you be the CEO and you run this whole thing? And so he, he ele- so all of a sudden, right, Joseph this morning is in prison and, and he's 30 years old at this time. He was sold at 17. So it's been 13 years where he's been enslaved in Potiphar's house and then in prison. 13 years go by where he's probably wondering, God, where are you? And then all of a sudden, He's raised in one day from prison to second in command over all of Egypt. Look at verse 37, it says, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it all on Joseph's hand and clothed him in in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt after 13 years of these hardships, in a matter of a day, God has raised him from prison to power, second in command over the most powerful nation at the, at the time. It's, it's like, this isn't even like a movie. This is insane. And this really happened. And guess what? Everything begins to unfold just as Joseph predicts. There's seven years of really good harvest. And then the famine kicks in. Verse 56 says, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. You know, as we read a story like this in the Bible, I think it's really easy for us to think, yeah, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph in this story. Like, I can see how I, you know, I, I try to be, you know, really obedient all the time. And, and it just seems like things don't go my way. But the reality is, guys, is, is, is we're not. And the reason I think we look at that is, is we, we, we read scripture with what I would call maybe a yearbook mentality. I've heard this before where, where the first thing you did when you got your yearbook was you opened it up, right? Go, go to seventh grade class and, and, and you look for you and, you, and you're like, that's me. And then you start scrolling through and you go to all the different dances and you count how many times you're in there and you're like, there's me at the volleyball game. That's like my, that's my shin down. You know, that's, that's me right there. Like I'm Joseph in this story. But guys, if anything, we're not, we're not Joseph. Jesus is the greater Joseph. If anything, we're the brothers who sold him as Dylan reminded us last week, or we are Potiphar's wife who, who falsely accused him, or we're the ones who forgot about him for two years after everything that he did. That's who we are in the story. 
But Jesus is the greater Joseph. And we cannot miss this. We cannot miss this. Don't miss what this whole story points to. And in fact, what the entire Bible points to, it all points to Jesus. I'm going to point out some parallels. And then we'll, um, yeah, we'll call it a night. But I want you to see that Jesus is the greater Joseph who would come one day. Dylan introduced this thought to us last week when he said that Joseph is an imperfect picture of the perfect savior who would come one day to save the world. And we see some of that in this story. And I'm gonna point it out. Here we go. Just as Joseph was sinned against by his brothers, so was Jesus sinned against by his brothers and all of us here. Just as Joseph was sold for just a few shekels of silver, so would Jesus one day be betrayed by Judas and sold for just a few shekels of silver. Just as Joseph was stripped of his robe, so would Jesus one day be stripped of his robe and beaten by the ones who would soon crucify him. Just as Joseph remained steadfast and faithful to God throughout this story, we see that Jesus was perfectly steadfast and faithful to the Father in order to earn righteousness for us. Just as Joseph was falsely accused and served a sentence he did not deserve, so was Jesus falsely accused and tried before Pilate and he served a sentence that we all deserved. And here's a crazy one. Just as Joseph is in prison and he's next to two prisoners who actually deserve to be there when he's innocent and one of them receives punishment, but the other one is restored to the king, so would Jesus one day on the cross be in between two criminals who deserve to be there. And one of them rejected Jesus and got the punishment he deserved, but the other one, he looked to Jesus, he trusted in Jesus, and Jesus had mercy on him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Just as God sent Joseph, and God did this, this was God's plan. God sent Joseph in order to save the world of the horrible famine that was to come. God sent his own son, Jesus, to save the world from the punishment of, of, of God that we deserve for our sin against him. Guys, God's word is incredible. And all of it points to Jesus and the truth that our sin separates us from God and there is nothing that we can do. We are not Joseph in this story. We're the ones who betrayed him. But what we're gonna see is that God sent forth Joseph so that the world will be saved from this famine. And it's to point to the greater savior who would come so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have a relationship with God, that God would send his only son, Jesus, to live the life that we were required to, but could not be punished on the cross and raised again. And for those who look to him, God promises life, eternal life. He is the true savior of the world. Will you, will you look to him? Please, let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is accessible to all of us here, that it's true. Your word says you cannot lie. I thank you for everything that you were doing from the beginning, Lord, to redeem broken people like me and every other person here back to yourself. Lord, it's incredible. It makes no sense why you would choose to have mercy and, and, and show us grace because we don't deserve that. 
or no better than the worst people in this story. But Lord, we thank you that you made a way. So all that's left for us now, Lord, is, is literally to bow the knees of our heart and to recognize and admit to you that we cannot do it on our own. But thank you for making a way through your son who did it for us. Will we just say thank you and trust you? Because your word says for anyone who receives him, who believes in him, you will give life and they will become a son or daughter of almighty God. And that's our hope. So remember that Lord and we we worship you tonight. We praise you. Amen.